Hello, everybody. Um, we're coming to you now. This is our second Sunday. We're coming to you digitally on our different social media outlets uh, due to the pandemic at this time. Now, we have made a decision. This would have been the last in the series on Overloaded, but because everything that's going on and we want to minister to you as best we can in the area that most, um, most felt needs are being felt right now, and that is the area of peace. So we've changed course and I'm writing a new series. This is the first one. It's called Peace in the Panic. What I'm also going to do is a series I would have done starting next Sunday, The Seven Sayings of Jesus on the Cross. I will suspend temporarily the verse by verse midweek and I will do that series on Wednesdays on my Facebook teaching so that you get that series also. We're going to come to you in many ways and many methods to try to make sure and ensure that you are being ministered to, you're being spiritually fed, and you are being taken care of. So we're going to begin today with this message, uh, with this series, uh, Peace in the Panic. And my opening message is, I am not alone because we felt like as a staff, this would be the best thing. Now, I wanna begin uh, with something that was asked of me uh, this week, as we were putting together um, a service for the teenagers here, the AB teens. Uh, they, it was going to be a question and answer night with myself and Pastor Charlie Headley. So we went ahead and videoed it for online. And one of the questions that was asked me, because it was gonna be that method, was, are we in the end times? Which is a great question. And I want to begin by answering that today before I do anything else. Because I don't want anyone to be terrified or nervous or panicked. Are we in the end times? The answer is yes and no. Let me explain. Yes, but... The end times began in Acts chapter 2. If you read Acts chapter 2, you get to around when the church was born, the church age. Uh, you see around verse 16, 17, it says that in the last days, and he starts to lay out, the first thing was the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh, which is what happened the day the church was born and continues to happen. So yes, we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years. But, I think the real question they were asking me was this. Are we in the great seven-year tribulation? And the answer to that is no. Because there's a lot of things that have to have happened for any of us to say we're in the great seven-year tribulation. And one of the things is, I wouldn't even be here. And neither would you. Because the rapture of the followers of Christ would have happened. We would have been taken out before all hell breaks loose on earth. We would also look for a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Well, that hasn't happened. That will only happen in the great seven-year tribulation. You must also look for the rise of a one-world leader as the world comes together in one government. We know him as the beast in Scripture. He's also called the Antichrist. Well, he's not on the scene. And those are just a few of the things that you would have to see happening right now for us to be in the great seven-year tribulation period. So no, we are not in that. So do not worry at all about that. 
So back to our series and first uh, teaching is I am not alone and neither are you. So the verse I picked out for our key verse for the series is found in John 16, 33. Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. Watch how Jesus finishes. He says, I have overcome the world. I like that. But notice in that verse, there are two ends. I-N-S. There are two ends. First, he says, in him, in Jesus, and then he says, in the world. Now, there are two consequences of, uh, there are two consequences. One, if I'm in Jesus, I have peace. If I'm a follower of Christ, I have peace in any situation. If I'm not, and I'm in the world, and I'm not a follower of Christ, well, yeah, I'm going to have tribulation. Therefore, as followers of Christ, we have peace. And in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to take you down a journey about the peace of God in different um, veins, if you will, that would apply to our lives, especially in the times we are living in right now. I need to make sure that you have peace, that you have calm, that you know your God. And in these times, boy, you can really know who your God is, especially in the troubling times. So if you have a Bible or how whatever you have there, turn to Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to take you through chapter uh, verse 10 through 31. We're going to cover 21 verses in this particular teaching. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a background. Not a lot, but what has happened. This is about Jacob, one of the Old Testament patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob's life has um, flipped. Everything that was good and was normal the day before, it's flipped. And now it is abnormal and everything is upside down. And he's on the run. Now, guys, that's what's happened to our world. It is flipped upside down. It was almost overnight, wasn't it? One day to the next. And we see a lot of fear. We see people running to and fro. <laughs> Life has just flipped. And so we want to find the peace in the middle of it. So we're going to see in Jacob's life what God does to bring him peace in a life that is flipped and turned upside down. Okay? So here we go. Number one, first point is God meets us in our unplanned stops. Life is filled with unplanned stops, but God meets us there. In other words, we are never alone, ever alone. Now, Genesis 28, verse 10 and 11 says this. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba, means well of the oath. Beersheba means that and went toward Haran. Haran means parched. Interesting, he goes from water, well of the oath, to Haran, parched. His life has flipped. Everything's upside down. It goes from watered to dry. Now verse 11 says, he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Can you imagine that? Middle of the desert. It's dark. He's had a run. Life has flipped. He gets a rock. 
puts his head on the rock to fall asleep. Now, <clears throat> what I want to show you right now is the first words in verse 11. It says, he came. Jacob comes to a certain place. The word came, interesting, interesting Hebrew word that is used here. And it gives us a wider picture of how great our God is that we are never alone. The word came there means to meet, to encounter the idea that God has arranged a specific place, an appointed place to meet us. Isn't that awesome? In the middle of a desert, in the dark, alone, nowhere, life's flipped upside down. And here we find a man with his head on the pillow the day before everything was right. It's an unplanned stop. And now what happens? God meets him right there. You're never ever alone my friends now i need a segue with something that i felt very very strongly under the inspiration of the spirit to put in this message in case someone is watching that maybe you don't believe in god you're not sure there is a god maybe you've said to yourself well you know how can there be a god if there's so much evil in the world or how can, if there's a God, how can he allow evil in the world? Therefore, I don't think there is a God. Okay, I, I want to do this just for you. I can't spend a lot of time on it, but just for you. <clears throat> if there is evil, and there is, and there is evil, then the assumption must be that there is also good. And I find it fascinating that people always want to blame the bad on God. But they never want to boast in God over the good that God does. They just want to find the bad. Oh, it's got to be God's fault right there. But boy, everything else that's good in their life, well, I won't give God any credit on that one. Don't you find that a little hypocritical? I do. Now, the assumption is if people say there's evil, then there must be moral good. Therefore, there must be some kind of morality. But where do the laws of morality even come from? Who do they come from? Well, they must come from a moral law giver somewhere. And there is a moral law that has been placed on our hearts. And that moral law has come from whom we call God. Now, that is why unless our hearts are so seared that we look at things like murder and lying and human trafficking, we say that's evil, right? Therefore, if there is evil, there must be good. Now, <clears throat> with that said, <clears throat> here's my point. Without the existence of God, then we would have no standard of moral law. We could never even base where they came from. And if we have no God, then what would happen is we would not have this morality placed within us. Let me take a step further. Without God, we make ourselves God. And we see a lot of that today. And when we make ourselves God, we will start to call things like, and some people do, they think murder is okay, lying is okay, human trafficking is okay. I am sure that Hitler thought the Holocaust was the right thing and a good thing. Without God, then all we have is evil. But God, in the existence of God, He has placed the moral law within us. <clears throat> so if you say, if you say things like, 
you know, or I would ask, how can you call anything evil? How can you even say that? How can you say, well, if there's, you know, there's evil? Wait, you can only say there's evil if there is good. <clears throat> now, with, with that said, if you ask me, why does God allow evil in this world? Therefore, I don't believe in him. Then you're really saying that there is the existence of good, moral good, therefore moral laws. Moral laws that have been written on our hearts by a law-giving God who loves us. So even in your question, you know, about evil, you are proving the existence of God. Now somebody out there is going to think this. You're going to say or think to yourself, well, you know, we can just reason, come on, just logic what is good and what is evil. Really? Really? There are people in this world that believe loving your neighbor is good, and there are people in this world that believe eating your neighbor is good. No, you can't just logically reason it out. It had to have come from a God who gave us his laws on our heart, inspired men to write these things down. And we have that law and that law because there is moral good. Because if you have evil, you have good. Otherwise, if you have no moral standard, nothing is evil, my friend. So all of this points to the existence of God. Now, now that I've kind of hopefully got you at least thinking on that, because that's what I'm talking about today, that God is real and God is here. Back to you, follower of Christ. You are never alone. Back, back to the issue. God meets us in our unplanned stops. <clears throat> Later on in verse 16, we'll get there in a bit, when Jacob now meets God and God meets him there in this dark, dreary desert all alone, when life is turned upside down, Jacob will utter these words. He will say, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. What? Here's the big question with this point here. Why didn't he think God was with him in that dark, dreary, lonely desert on the run? Let me tell you why. His circumstances. Follower of Christ, listen closely. It's circumstances that can do us in. You can look at your circumstances right now and you can think, oh no, where's God? Where's God? Is God? Or you can walk by faith and know that God's character is true and God is not going anywhere. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the second part of the verse says this, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In the Greek amplified version of that verse, you know what it reads? It reads something like this. I will never, ever, ever, ever forsake you. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. It's emphasized. God is not leaving us as orphans. No, we are never, ever alone. And God meets us in those unplanned stops like today. Everything is stopping. Every, nothing's moving, it seemingly. And God meets us in the unplanned stops. We don't need to have panic. We have peace in the midst of the panic. That's the first thing. Hopefully it made sense. And second thing is this. God meets us where we are at. He meets you right where you're at. Now, we're not alone. Look at verse 12. Jacob, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder, that's a key element there, was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Mm, that's interesting. 
Jacob is asleep in the desert, head on a rock. You ever think about this? We are never more vulnerable than we are when we are asleep. And I think it's a picture there. Wake up, Christian. Wake up, backslider. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, someone who's far from God. Wake up. Don't be asleep in the middle of all this. Wake up. Now, he dreams. And in his dream, God shows him, uh, 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 in this dream, uh, of a ladder that comes down from heaven to earth. Now, as a guy that's been studying the Bible 40 years, and some of you know this, some of you don't. So let me show you a cool thing. We know what the ladder is and who the ladder is. We can go to John in the New Testament Gospels, chapter 1, verse 51, and we know the ladder is none other than a symbol and a picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come. How so? Well, we know it from there. But the ladder is representative of Jesus. He comes from heaven to earth and he fills the gap because we were lost. We were far from God. And he comes as the gap filler. How? He goes to a cross. He carries our sins. He sheds his blood to forgive us. They kill him. They bury him. Three days later, it rises from the dead to offer us salvation. He is the ladder, the only way and the only hope. He is the gap filler right there. Now, here's my point. God comes to us right where we are at. You're never alone. I'm never alone. The ladder came right to where he was sleeping. You ever think about that? I do. God meets us where we're at. So this past Monday, just uh, March 16th, I flew up to Sacramento to perform a funeral uh, for a friend. His, his mother passed. And uh, the, it, it was kind of strange because the plane up and down, I flew up and down on Monday. The plane had only 20-some people in it each way. I had my own rope plus the royal cross from me. We all did. Had so much room. The weather was the weather. And so as we're ascending into the clouds and then descending each time, it was bumpy. And I mean bumpy. One time it was so bad as we were descending into Sacramento. I'm not even exaggerating. It was shaking that plane all over. And one big jerk, it was so intense. The guy a few rows behind me, I heard him go, ah! <laughs> it's like, and no one was laughing. Look, I, I'm a believer and I'm a follower of Christ. I grabbed the hold of my seat pretty tight and I, had the, I pulled the seat belt tighter. <laughs> it's like, that was one hard shift right there. And it kept on jerking all over the place. And I thought, I have to fly home in this thing? Oh my gosh. Now, <clears throat> so I did the funeral. And um, I get on the plane to come home. Text my wife and I said, uh, here's what time I'm landing. So when I got to Ontario, my wife was waiting for me right there. I got off, I'm on the curb, and she met me right where I was at. It was a bumpy ride home. But there she was to meet me on that spot. Let me tell you something. It's bumpy right now, isn't it? There are a lot of people in their soul. They go, ah! They're making noise on the inside. They're scared and they're panicked, but not you, follower of Christ. Nuh-uh. We have peace in the panic. You know why? 
Because like Olivia meeting me right there where I landed, God meets you right where you're at. And it is a bumpy ride. And there are things that do happen. And understand that Christians are not exempt from stuff. Jesus said the rain falls on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Sometimes what the unrighteous do are things that happen in life. We get exposed to them. But guess what? Jesus meets us right where we are at, no matter how terrifying or bumpy the ride may be. Now, let me show you something really groovy and boss about these verses and what God tells Jacob, because he tells us the same thing. Watch this. I'm going to read verses 13, 14, 15, and verse 15 is where I'm going to drill down very quickly on three thoughts. Verse 13 says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let me give you three cool things about three groovy things about it. The first up in God's promises are these. He promises his presence. He says in that verse 15, I'm with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, believer, wherever you go, follower of Christ, God is with you. You're not alone. The second thing God promises there is his protection. He tells him, I will bring you back again. Because remember, he's on the run. I'll bring you back again. So God is protecting, follower of Christ. And the third thing we find here in God's promises is his preservation. He says, I will not leave until I have done all that's promised. And he talks about his descendants and all the people that will be blessed through him. He says, you're going to be preserved because there's a family, there are people coming after you. This is God's promise. Okay, now let me, let me delve into somewhere because somebody's thinking this. Someone out there is thinking, well, God won't do that for me. I've been really sinning a lot lately. God won't do that for me because, you know, five years ago, I really did this awful thing. God won't do that for me because, man, you don't know how I've been living, preacher. Okay. <clears throat> Let me fill in the blanks on Jacob's life. At this time, when he's laying out there in that desert, you know why he's out there? Because he's a liar. He's a thief. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He's a deceiver. And because he is these things, his brother wants to kill him because he is a liar, a thief, and a deceiver. There is nothing redeemable in Jacob's life. He has been living in sin. And God comes along and says, I'm going to do all this for you. Now here's the question. Does he deserve such goodness from God? No. Next question. Do you and I deserve such goodness from God? No. It's called grace. It's God's specialty. God's favor to us, even though we don't deserve it. Think. Don't forget the ladder in the story. The ladder is a picture of Jesus. The ladder comes right to where Jacob, the sinning, 
lying, deceiving, fugitive, is sleeping. Jesus comes right to him. That's called grace, my friend. And God reaches down to him the way he reaches down to us. You're never alone. You're never alone, my friends. The third thing is this. God's people respond with light in the darkness. We're never alone. Now watch, watch chapter 28. I'm going to read 16 to 22. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. He wakes up from the dream and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Verse 17. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. <laughs> really? We'll come back to that. There is none other than the house. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on, on, on its top. In other words, he sets up an altar. The oil is to consecrate and set it apart as a holy spot for him where he encountered God. He, verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. means house of God. However, previously, the name of the city had been Luz means almond tree. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, in other words, provision, and I return to my father's house and safety, in other words, when I come back from being on the run one day, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, in other words, this stone I've set up here, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house, Bethel, house of God. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. <clears throat> he lies there and he wakes up after the dream and says, Surely God was in this place and I did not know it. In other words, there is light in the middle of darkness. God showed up. And then he says in verse 17, he says, How awesome is this place? Whoa! He's in a dark, dreary desert by himself. Heads, his pillow is a rock. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but here's the thing. When you know that God is with you and you believe it because you trust God's character that he never leaves you forsakes you, doesn't matter where you're at. How awesome is this place? Because when God is there, I don't care how dark it is, it's light, my friends. It's light. See, he knows he's never alone now. So here's what's going on. In verse 18, 19, Jacob responds with worship. In verse 20 and 21, he responds with works, good works. I have a question for you. How do you and I respond in a crisis? With worship and works, good works? Or with panic? We should never be panicking. We're not alone. He has peace because he's not alone. You have peace because you're not alone. You're not alone. In the middle of it all, he knows where God is. Now, this is, this is the big deal. Let me tell you, it's a big deal. Because in times like these, with what's going on, if I walk in peace, if you walk in peace and calm and trust that you are never alone, that God is always with you, it just might open up inquiries. What do you mean inquiries? Well, people who have no peace, people that are panicked, they might see you in peace say, what's up? Why aren't you afraid? See, it's the way you respond to the situations. 
It's important because people are watching. The same way the centurion at the cross of Christ was watching. And Jesus did not act like any normal crucified person to the point that the centurion realized truly this was the Son of God. See, there might just be inquiries. Now back to the funeral. Okay, while I'm up there, the reason why I went in the midst of all the panic was because I had an opportunity to be able to share the biblical side at a funeral. My buddy shared everything he knew about his mother, but I got to share with people that didn't know God. That was important to me. But here's what happened. Afterwards, there was a reception at a restaurant there in Sacramento. Now, I got there with my friend. I couldn't stay because my plane was leaving. So they get me an Uber to the Sacramento airport. Now, we step outside, my friend and I, and he was, he was scared. He was panicked over everything that's going on. There ain't no doubt about it. And, and I told him, I go, just have peace. God gives you the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's hard for him to comprehend that. And I sent him verses later. You can have peace in the middle of the storm, man. The Uber driver comes. My friend hugs me. Thanks. He kisses me on the cheek. He has never kissed me in his life. I get in the, in the vehicle with the Uber driver. We're driving down the road. It's small talk because we're heading to the airport. And then I ask him because he has an accent. I go, so where's your accent from? And he says, Mexicano. <laughs> and I go, duh, I'm Mexican. I couldn't even pick that up. <laughs> so so we're, we're, and I said, where from? He says, Puerto Vallarta. I said, well, I was in Puerto Vallarta uh, like in 1984. He had just been there the week before visiting family. I said, I talked about how there's that arch out in the water. I was out in the boat and snorkeling there. She goes, oh yeah, it's out there. Then it went quiet for a bit. And then he asked the question. He said, so what do you do? Oh man, you ask a preacher what he does. It's like, here we go, Mr. Toad's a wild ride, my friend. And I said, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. And then he says this, he says, can I ask you a question? I go, sure. How did you know that you were called to this? I explained it very fast. I go, no, 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 slow down. I, I got to be able to understand everything you're saying. I go, so I started over again and I went really slow injecting some Spanish words that I knew because I'm not that great at Spanish to help him. And then he says this. He goes, I've asked this question of, I think he said about five or six pastors. But only you and one other pastor gave me the same answer. And that's the one that makes the most sense. And I was like, well, why is he asking me? I'm thinking. And then he says, you see, when I was a young kid, I knew I was called of God. I knew God called me for his will. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy never followed up on the call. He has never, ever taken, seized the moment in his life to follow what God says. I go, oh gosh, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. He is not living up to what God said for him to do in his life. This is why you brought me up and back. This is everything. So I got to minister to him some more. 
and encourage them that the gifts and the callings of God are, are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. But here you had a man. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Then he says this. He says, and this whole circumstance, this, this crisis, I've thought so much about it. And I believe God is trying to tell me something. I thought, you think? Yeah. Get back to the call that God called you with. And I don't know, I would guess him in his mid-30s. Maybe it was almost 30 years ago God called him. Get back to doing what you're supposed to do that you've never done. Follower of Christ, listen closely. That's the same for you and for me. You're called. I'm called. Every one of us is called. No, you're the preacher. doesn't matter. No, we're all called to do what we're supposed to do. We're all called to bring light to a world that's in darkness, that's panicked. We're all called to do that. Now, if you and I walk around in fear and in panic, there'll be no inquiries of us because we will look like people who have no hope, who do not even believe there is a God who oversees the affairs of men. But if we walk around in peace, not in panic, because we know we're never alone and God never leaves us, never forsakes us, He's always there. The ladder comes down right to where we're at. There will be inquiries. There will be people that will take a look at us and say, What's up? Why, why aren't you nervous? Why aren't you afraid? And it's in that moment that now the calling of God comes to full circle in your life. And you can give out the light of Jesus Christ to people who are in a dark, desert season of life. That's what matters. That's what's so important. Jesus made the promise to you and me. He said, when you're brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, don't worry about what you're going to say. For the Spirit of God who lives in you will give you the words in that moment. You see, you and I are John the Baptist. John the Baptist made the statement of himself when he said, I am a voice. And when they asked, who are you? He goes, I'm a voice. That's all he is. You and I, we are a voice in the midst of the darkness. We are the peacekeepers of mankind. We are the ones that bring light in the midst of all this. We are the ones that bring hope. Friend, walk in the peace of God because you're never alone. And let the inquiries happen when they happen and spread the light of Jesus Christ because that's what you've got. That's what you have. You got gold inside of you. Well, I'm going to stop there now. I pray this is an encouragement to you in this season we're in. Once again, I'll hug you from a distance. I can't wait till I see your smiling faces again, but I just want to make sure as your shepherd that you are fed spiritually and taken care of. You can share this message with as many people as you like on many platforms. God bless you. One day we're going to see you again. See you later.